I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check us out, christ-life.org. We are so excited. We are in the foundation set, the foundation of the Christ Life Living, and Warren Litzman is taking us to great places in this study, and it's very exciting to be able to share them with you. Let's get right into today's message. Here's Warren. I see it's real important to get the ministry of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit separated. We are at this juncture in our walk laying great stress on Hebrews 4 and 12 where the apostle says that the separation of soul and spirit is done by the word of God. I'd like to encourage those of you that don't have this tape to order it. This is becoming more and more crucial to people that's going on with the Lord because they haven't understood how God worked with them. We've sort of been a conglomerated uh, product of God. We just kind of hit and miss. But this is the way God works in our lives. He works on the level of our understanding. He doesn't work on the level of our knowledge. Now we've made attempted to make a keen distinction between these two things during these sessions. You see, God knows you better than anybody else. And what he knows most about you is what it is you understand. So our little theorem has been Our little theorem has been simple, knowledge plus understanding produces spontaneity, spontaneous living. Actually, we've gotten very little into the spontaneous part because I felt the, the need to dwell on the issue of understanding. Because understanding is only brought by the Holy Spirit. You have an awful lot of knowledge that you can't make work. Only the Holy Spirit can give you understanding of that knowledge. Only the Holy Spirit can give you understanding of that knowledge. That's the aftermath of revelation. Once Christ has been revealed in you, then the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal all the details to you. Remember this. The Holy Spirit only builds on Christ. This is why we have so much head knowledge, so much religion, so much institutionalism, so much denominationalism, so much man-made doctrine, because if the Holy Spirit works at all, he builds on Christ. Where do we get that? John 14, 15, and 16. Christ is conclusive. He is adamant. He is determined. He is forceful. He doesn't beat around the bush. He tells us what the Holy Spirit is coming to do. That the Holy Spirit is not coming to take his place, but to reveal to the human being who Jesus is. That's the essence of the whole message in John 14, 15, and 16. 
Jesus said, it is expedient for you, John 16, that I get out of here, because if I don't get out of here, the Holy Spirit won't come. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't come, you will not know what it is God's doing. Now, why did he put it like that? He said, as long as you see Jesus of Nazareth, you see me in a separated state from you. But whenever I die and go back to the Father, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that he who went back to the Father fulfills the mystery of godliness. What's the mystery of godliness? That Christ can be at the right hand of the Father, can be in every one of us, and can be in everybody else wherever they are. And that we not only are in Christ here, but we're also seated with him in heavenly places. That's the mystery of godliness. Can't explain it. Wasn't expected to. Won't understand it until we get to heaven if we do then. I don't think it'll be an issue then. Nothing will be an issue then. Won't matter whether you're Methodist or Baptist then. But the Lord made it clear that as long as you see Jesus of Nazareth, you're never going to know what God's doing. So I've got to get out of here. I've got to go. Because if I don't go, you're going to keep on trying to be like me and do my works. Where's most of religion today? That same place. Why? They don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. I've always said that the greatest problem in a religion is over the Holy Spirit. What to do with the Holy Spirit? Some said, well, we got him when we got saved. Some said, no, we didn't get him until we did this or talked in tongues or did that. They've never known what to do with the Holy Spirit. But we're finding out, if we listen closely to Jesus, what the Holy Spirit's all about. He only builds on Christ. He takes the things of Christ and reveals them unto us. That's the only thing the Holy Spirit builds on. He doesn't build on our denomination. He doesn't build on, on Joseph Smith's vision or, or uh, Mary Baker Eddy's uh, vision or uh, anybody else, Litzman's vision. He doesn't build on anybody's vision. He builds on the basis of Jesus Christ. And if you don't start with Jesus Christ, you'll never have a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. You'll always have a problem then between knowledge. Knowledge can either be that which is taught by the Holy Spirit, or knowledge can be head knowledge. Now, all of us got a lot of head knowledge, and we don't know the difference between head knowledge and what the Holy Spirit teaches. So I'm telling you point blank, how you can tell the difference. How do you know whether your church teaches right? How do you know the way you interpret the Bible is right? You don't until you turn to the Holy Spirit. You don't know whether it's right or not. You don't know whether it's truth or not. Then how are we going to know what is of the Holy Spirit? He builds on Christ. He starts with Christ. He never speaks of himself. He never speaks of men. He never speaks of things. His revelation is of the person of Christ. That's why John 14, 15, and 16 are so important to our understanding. Get those three chapters down, and then you're ready for a work of the Holy Spirit. We think he's power. He's not the power. The knowledge that he brings is power. Acts 1 and 8 says, After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. We thought the Holy Ghost came to give the human power. No, the power he gives us is the knowledge of who we are in Christ. That's why the word after is there. Why do I say that? Because I've been given human beings power by Holy Ghost blessings for 40 years and I haven't seen very many of them get much power. When I taught uh, Pentecostal truths in college, 
I used to go by a statistic we had that less than 5% of all the tongue-talking people really had any power. 95% of them just got over the denominational hump. The hump was everybody has to do this to be one of us. Once you got to be one of them, you quit seeking God, you quit growing, everything quit because there was nowhere else to go. The Holy Ghost is a dead end unless you listen to him talk about Jesus. That's no reflection on the Holy Spirit. That's no uh, condemnation of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit assumes that role. That's his purpose. God, the Holy Spirit, is an intricate part of one God. You understand that? So he's not taking a subservient role to Christ. He's taking an obedient role to the one mind that runs the universe, God, because the Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit, just like the Son is a part of that God and the Father is a part of that God. So, you can get a lot of head knowledge. The more head knowledge you get, the more trying is going to be your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed something? In the charismatic renewal we saw this, that the more head knowledge a person had, like a preacher or a theologian, the less he moved into the things of God that was going on. Did you notice that? I mean, the more he knew, the less you could get through to him with the work of the Spirit. See, So head knowledge always gets in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're not careful, you won't know the difference between the two. So my first point is the difference between head knowledge and the work of the Holy Spirit is Christ. Head knowledge is based on the idea you've got to know this whole book. The Holy Spirit says, no, it isn't knowing this whole book, it's knowing Christ. See? So once you get that solved and settled, you're ready to go on now. We talked about the necessity of tying together the loose ends that come from a revelation of Christ as your life. I have assumed during all of these talks that you have a revelation of Christ or that you're pressing toward it. If you can't put your finger on a time and a place that you had Christ revealed in you, keep, keep waiting, keep seeking, keep believing. Because I found out that the waiting, seeking, and believing may be as important as a having. You understand that? It's kind of like most of the time it's a whole lot more important to plan for a trip than it is to get through with it. Especially if you've got a bunch of kids. <laughs> And so I found out, particularly in uh, spirit-filled circles, it's a whole lot better to keep seeking God than it was to think you'd arrived, that you had it all. So there's nothing wrong with waiting on the Lord. I believe that you can put your finger on a time that the Holy Spirit begins to reveal Christ in you. I think you know that. You heard people stand here and talk with that, that they knew it at a certain time. Uh, it isn't like... Uh, talking in tongues or having a great explosion emotionally, it may come gradually and be coming to you gradually, but suddenly you have a realization of it. If I was to give you about seven different words about revelation, one of them would be realization, that you've had a thing taking place all the time, but you realized it. You suddenly realized that thing was going on. Well, that's kind of like an experience, but really... Really it isn't, because it's been going on all the time, and your mind just opened up to realize it. I often use the illustration, when I was a kid, I was bad at math, probably still am, but I was real bad at it because I couldn't have anybody explain to me in the first grade why two and two made four. And finally they kept telling me, just accept it, it's kind of like getting saved, you know. 
you just got to tell a lot of people, well, did you believe? Yeah, I believe. Well, it's so. It's done. It's just accept it. Go ahead and take it. And that's the way they had to do with me on two and two make four. Well, I was hard-headed and didn't take it. Until one day, it just came to me in a realization. I saw four things sitting there, and I said, you put all four of those things together, and you got four ones. And you separate them halfway, and you got two on either side, and two and two make four. Suddenly, it just clicked. <laughs> two and two makes four. If that's the way somebody wants it to be, I accept it. That's where the revelation of Jesus Christ is. At some juncture, you're going to have it to click. Now, we haven't talked about that. We, we need to take a whole conference just talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ, but I'm, I'm really waiting till I, till I get this book out because it'll help you. Oh, it'll help you. I've just gone through that book again, and we've updated it to the Christ life, and it will really bless you and help you. It's one of the oldest books I've got. It's, it's over 25 years old, but we haven't had it in print for good 20 years so the revelation of Jesus Christ is what you need many of you have that you see Christ as your life but now what's happening to you is that you're seeing him as your only life that's tying up all these loose ends you see when I first had a revelation of Jesus Christ I saw him as life no doubt about that the scriptures opened up to me especially John's epistle he that hath the son hath life he that hath not the son hath not life when I finally got that through to me I saw that Zoe life was the only kind of life God had anything to do with I saw right off he didn't have much to do with human life he let some of us grunt and groan he let some of us get sick and die he healed some of us and then we turn around and get sick and die so I saw his greater interest wasn't in human life. And I heard Jesus say that we were not to fret about human life, that it would kind of flow along with us, that God would take care of it. And uh, then when I got a hold of Paul's writings that had to do with human beings and human life, he really did spike the thing once and all. He said it just don't matter whether you live or die. So you're in fourth dimension knowledge. You've moved on to something else. And I heard Paul say, we groan to get out of these bodies. So I had a whole lot of information where God just wasn't too interested in human life. Now, I don't tell that to people, except in a session like this. There's a lot of people this ought to be told to and explained. They're the people who come to you who don't really know God and say, well, if there's a God, why did he let all these babies die in Ethiopia? You ever had that to happen? Well, I'm going to tell you, his big interest is in human life. Never has been. I could go back through the script. I used to hear the atheists. I'd listen to atheists uh, every once in a while. And one of the atheistic strong points is that God is a cruel God. Look what he's done to humanity. If there is a God behind it all, let all these people kill off each other and he killed off a bunch. He did. He killed off a bunch. He destroyed the whole world side. Eight people, they claimed to be 150 million living in Noah's day and all of them got killed by God but eight people. I started church one time with eight people so I kind of figured I was a Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Now I got an ark with all these strange animals on it. Sennacherib, uh, uh, David, Saul, children of Israel, a million of them died in the wilderness. 
Now, I'm not making a big point of this, but I'm just trying to show you why I think this way. Because there's an awful lot of scripture that shows us that God's big interest wasn't human being, human life. And yet, Christ died for just one soul, one human being. So we have a balance to all of that. But the feeling that human life isn't worth very much really belongs to the children of God rather than to the unbelievers. Human life is an important thing to unbelievers because until their container possesses Christ, they're going to go to hell. But we who now have accepted Christ as our Savior and Christ lives in our self, our container, we're a we're putting the emphasis on the content and not on the container. See? And that's the way it has to be. And that's what the New Testament did. That's what Christ did when he came. He began to put the emphasis on knowing God and knowing him. That's in the gospel. And then Paul came along and he put the emphasis on the content instead of the cup. See? Good to have a cup. Got to have a cup to hold a coffee. Got to have a being to hold Christ. But that cup will never become coffee, and that being will never become Christ. And so there will always be a problem of the two until God gives a new container for that content of Christ that's in us. And that's what we're going to get on the resurrection morning. We're going to get a new container that fits. Fits. You know how it is. Uh, most of the time... Uh, uh, Robbie and I like a different kind of cup every morning. Not the same old cup. So we got all kinds of cups. I got uh, big cups, little cups, round cups, square cups, tall cups, short cups. Uh, I even got a backward cup. Uh, you have to drink the thing backward. <laughs> got all kinds of cups. Because they're all different. And we kind of like to do different things. But what we're really after is the content. If we get coffee to us without a cup, be great, but you can't. So what you do, you marry the two, and you say, I want a cup of coffee. There are two things there, but it's obvious one of them is more important than the other, and that's the way it is with human beings. We're a container, Christ lives in us, and it's obvious that Christ is the more important thing. Now, the Holy Spirit deals with that. That's what he deals with. He builds on Christ. Regardless of what our circumstance and situation is, the Holy Spirit points us to Christ because that's his interest. That's what he builds on. He does not build on the salvation of the container. We're going to change containers on the resurrection morning. The Holy Spirit does not build on those containers in the New Testament laid down that whatever happens to you, life or death, the important thing is to see Jesus. Thus, when the Holy Spirit begins his work, he reveals Christ to us. Some of you are going to live a long time, and there's maybe somebody in this room we won't see again. You'll pass before we have another family gathering. That doesn't matter. Simply because the content is more important than the cup, more important than who you are in the flesh. Because who you are in the flesh only matters to we who are horizontally looking at you. The one who looks at you vertically already sees you perfect. 
Now, we said that. Do you know you stand perfect before God right now? You say, well, I can't be. I got mad at my husband this morning and fussed at him. He doesn't see you by what you do. He sees you by who you are. He doesn't look at the cup. He looks at the content, and the content is Christ. Now, I've said all this to come to the thought that if you begin to live in your mind, in your understanding, according to that truth, that Christ liveth in me, he is my life. He is the content inside this body, this, this human self called me. He's the life in this me. He is the only life. Now is your objective. We first had a revelation of Christ where we saw Christ is life. That's Zoa, Z-O-A. But that's only halfway. Your next step is not only to have a revelation that Christ is your life, but your next great understanding must come that he is my only life. Uh, what am I doing by that? I'm taking any importance out of the cup and putting it in the content. So that when I want a cup of coffee in the morning, I don't care what kind of cup it's in. I want the coffee. See? So... When you begin to type all of the loose ends that come from seeing Christ in you as your life, what you're doing then is getting it down to the point that he's my only life. I don't have another life. There's not a me and a him. We're now joined together. We're one. I have given up my right to life. Thus the scripture's clear. I am crucified with Christ, meaning I give up my right to have a life. I give up my right to being important in container. I give up my self-rights, my self-righteousness. I don't give up my independence. We won't go into this. But you never give up self-independence because you never was self-independent. But that's a whole other thing. When Satan was the deity in you, you thought you were independent, but you weren't. You've never been independent. You weren't independent as a sinner. You're not independent as a believer. We're going to stop right now, but how do you like this foundation set of studies that Warren Litzman is presenting to us each week about the In Christ message? Really, really special. Well, let me invite you to go to our website, christ-life.org. Get up there, look all around, learn about the In Christ message, and learn how you can actually begin to have church in the home using our free materials from the website, christ-life.org. Robbie Litzman, thank you for allowing us to go into the archives every week. We're very grateful. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Very grateful for her, as we are Tammy Laycock, who does our weekly podcast notes. And we're very grateful for our wonderful producer each week, Teresa Ferraro. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.